Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Yo, what is happening, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and today's guest is PLO, multi-table tournament wizard and party poker team online pro, Ryan Schoonbart. Ryan has been a poker battler since he was a mere 18 years old in his hometown of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Always willing to mix it up, Ryan is the rare breed of poker player who is willing to sit down and play any variation of poker under the sun. For the first handful of years in his poker career, Ryan was a full-time live pro who never really caught the online bug. That all changed practically overnight when Ryan decided to jump headfirst into the Twitch streets because of a challenge from one of his good friends, Kevin Martin which he'll tell you all about in just a few minutes. The poker world should be very, very grateful for that challenge as Ryan brings a uniqueness to the poker world that, in my opinion, is invaluable for both rookies and veterans alike. In our conversation, you'll learn why game specialization isn't always the most profitable or gratifying route you can take as a poker player, why Ryan transitioned to solely battling on the PLO streets on his Twitch stream, how playing the carnival games for fun, even just a little bit in your downtime, can have a dramatic negative impact on your poker career, and much more. So strap in tight and get ready to feel the burning desire to diversify your game selection, increase your edge, and insulate yourself in an ever-changing poker environment. Without any further ado, I am super pumped to bring to you my conversation with Ryan Schoonbart. How are you doing this morning, sir? Good. How are you doing? Doing very well. Let's start the show out. So greatness is an abstract term, and I want to start out by asking you, when it comes to poker greatness, what does that mean to you? In terms of poker greatness, I don't know. I just, for me, it's not necessarily about like being the best player in the world or like any of that. Just for me, like poker greatness is essentially just being able to sustain and live comfortably off of my poker income. And uh, since I've been introduced to Twitch in that, it's also been kind of about helping other people achieve their poker goals and stuff like that. Um, so basically just giving me the ability to live a fulfilled life and like a comfortable life. I'm not uh, necessarily one of those people that strives to be the best player in the world and is wanting to put in the time, but as I, yeah, I just want to be a good player and uh, yeah, help others kind of achieve their goals as well. Why the, the focus on helping others? Um, what are the benefits? Just a more fulfilling feeling. I, I come from a live poker background and I played live poker for quite a few years and I just, kind of got the sense like after a while it just became draining like going into the poker room every day seeing the same guys like your whole 
income depends on taking their money. So it's like a lot of times people are hostile and it's just, it's not the best environment. Really? Hostile? How? Like when, when you beat them? Yeah. Like some players, not all of them. Like there's a lot of great players, but like there was just a lot of people who were really negative and just the atmosphere of the live poker wasn't always my favorite, but then switching to streaming as soon as I kind of got introduced to that, it's different because well, A, you're playing online, so you don't see any of your opponents. You just kind of are playing in that sense. And then also on Twitch, you're getting a lot of people coming in who are there to support, who are asking questions, who are learning from your plays in that, who are kind of trying to trace their own poker dreams. And that just kind of gives a better sense of feeling than just like strictly going in and being completely like selfish and just trying to take other everyone's money, stuff like that. So it's kind of a fun way to get back and feels better in my opinion. I feel you. And before I started doing this show, I used to think that I was alone in that thought of feeling predatory. I've played a lot of live poker, a lot of online and you're right. Like you, the, you ask yourself these existential questions of what am I really giving back to the world. Like is my place in the world just beating people out of their money and sending them home feeling bad? <laughs> like that's yeah. not a very that's not a very good feeling or thought to have about yourself. Yeah. And I can imagine Twitch being uh, a source of fulfillment in that way. Just just helping other people out, I found, just coaching people, um, even if the hourly is lesser than what it would be playing, giving freely all of these things I think matter to have a balanced and healthy career in poker over the long term. Else you just, I think it's very hard to sustain, sustain playing for decades and decades without giving something back in some way. Mm -hmm. So you're a mixed game player, right? Yeah. Tell me the story. How'd you get started playing the mixed games? Well, growing up, I kind of only ever knew uh, about Hold'em, and I used to play it as a kid growing up all the time, and then when cash games in my city kind of started moving more towards PLO, uh, so everyone was playing PLO, so in order to kind of, and that's where all the uh, gamblers and that were going, so in order to kind of keep up, you, I moved over to PLO and started putting time into learning that. Um, and then when I started doing a Twitch stream, I had never really played any of the other mixed games before but just kind of saw them in the lobby online. And I was like, oh, like, I'll try playing one of these. Yeah, why not? And jumped in, was just like having fun. I didn't know the games really that well. I knew the basics, but not any strategy about them. Uh, But I was just having fun kind of learning and playing different games. And it kind of kept it fresh and interesting for me. So then I just kind of, throughout streaming, I just kind of started playing a bunch more and studying them a little bit and was trying to improve at them a lot. And then, yeah, just kind of slowly got more and more into them and uh, yeah, dedicated a lot more time into learning them. What are your feelings now playing the mixed games compared to playing solely Hold'em? Um, well, I recently just switched to doing PLO only. Um, since I joined Team uh, Party, there's not they don't have horse or eight game or anything yet. So I've been focusing fully on their PLO schedule. And I, I just enjoy it a lot more. There's, In my opinion, you can make a lot more money. The returns are a lot better in the mixed games versus Hold'em. And the fields are, they're softer, they're smaller, which means there's a lot less variance than there is in those big field Hold'em tournaments. And I enjoy the game a lot more, so I really, yeah, I've enjoyed Makes that. sense on multiple levels. Yeah, exactly. Let's go back. 
to you started learning PLO. What did that process look like? How did you how did you begin to learn about PLO? Originally, I when I first started learning, the only content that was out basically was uh, the Run at Once site. What year was uh, this? It was maybe five years ago or so, or the only one that I knew about was yeah. Run at Once. Maybe there, I'm sure there was other stuff out, but the one that was predominantly available was uh, the Run at Once course. Yeah, hard so, to hard to pass up on Phil Galfond. Yeah, exactly. So I got on there and I remember watching like all of Odd Odson's videos who was crushing at the time and just like watching a bunch of the uh, the videos that they had up on Run at Once and kind of learning. And then also just discussing with friends and that there was a bunch of other people in Calgary that were playing PLO who were also uh, very good at the game. So just kind of discussing hands with them going over, like we'd play online sometimes and just like kind of sweat and learn from mistakes, be like, oh, you should change this or whatever. So how, how did you cultivate those relationships? Did they come, they came from the casino and yeah. then they followed you back to your home <laughs> to yeah. sweat some PLO? Yeah, when when I was playing in the casino day after day, you would uh, you could find the guy like the good guys who were fun in that, and they were playing all the time. So you just kind of naturally became friends with all of them, and then yeah, just kind of had that support system for the for studying and for helping in that. Yeah, I think you know this is one of the most powerful ways to expedite growth in any skill: finding people that are immersed in whatever it is that you're doing, sharing information and trying to figure out, figure it out together, you know, like one plus one equals five. It's something that, you know, Fedor Holtz talked about last week in our interview that's not available on YouTube yet, but it will be. But yeah, like find your tribe, find people and and grow together. This is one of the most important things you can do to grow your poker career, you know, in a very fast way. Mm-hmm. Um, did you read any PLO books? Uh, did you find anything else besides run it once that you've gravitated towards? Not really. I was never a huge fan of, uh, of reading the poker books as much. I was always kind of more interested in watching videos and the online content. Um, so I did that while I was playing live poker and I, I was okay. Like I was beating the games, but not like looking back, I realized how bad I was at the time. But then since then, I've uh, I've used Upswing's course recently and went through um, all of the Upswing PLO material and used that to study. So, How do you feel like that's affected your game, the Upswing course? Uh, it's helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... There were a lot of spots where I was either... Where I was just making mistakes. A lot of what I was learning is that I was just being too loose in a lot of spots and kind of finding out that you have to tighten up quite a bit and like both pre-flop and post-flop, so... It uh, definitely helped plug a lot of leaks and still have a bunch that I'm working on, but uh, yeah, slowly but surely getting there. Yeah, that's life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> always, we all, we're, we're always a leaky ship trying to, yeah. trying to plug them. What, what would you say are the differences in PLO and Hold'em? Like, what, like you have an advanced Hold'em player that's making the transition to PLO. How are they going to mess up? It's hard. There's so many mistakes that people make when they first move over. I think a major one is playing a lot, way too many hands. And then in doing that, they get themselves into a lot of weird spots post-flop where they're playing like some weak middling kind of rundowns and they're flopping like open-ended in a bad flush draw in a three or four way pot. And then they think it's really strong and they stack off and they end up being against like a wrap and a higher flush draw. And they're just essentially drawing dead. Um, so I think having good preflop knowledge of what hands 
are worth playing, what hands aren't, and then also kind of knowing how to maneuver post flop and stuff like that. But yeah, and I found in PLO it's more of an equity driven game mm-hmm. where getting people to fold out their equity is oftentimes a big win, and folding out your equity is a big loss. And so when you play those middling hands and you get yourself in uncomfortable spots where you don't exactly know where your equity is coming from, but you know you have equity, you're just bound to make mistakes. You're, you're mm-hmm. bound, bound to, to make these big blunders. So imagine that you know, you're, you're starting over now, right? Your carbon copy of yourself starting to learn PLO. What would you do starting today to expedite that growth? Uh, if I was brand new getting into it, essentially the first thing I would do is just invest in a training court like upswing and just buckle down and study a lot. At first, I was just making so many mistakes. Like I would have a, I was playing hands that looked really nice and just later figuring out that they weren't. Um, so really just having a lot of like study material and just buckling down, studying hard at first, putting in hands. And uh, that would be the main step I would take. And then from there, probably just get some one-on-one coaching. That's kind of at the point where I'm at right now, where I'm going to be looking to invest in some coaching and just because that helps a lot because it plugs your individual leaks. It's so much harder to go through a course and identify that you're making that mistake than it is for someone to look at you and tell you that you're making that mistake. Like it it takes so much more time with the self-directed learning versus just having someone spend an hour with you and be like, oh yeah, you're doing this wrong. And then you can kind of know how to fix it. So, yeah, it's like general general advice and feedback versus very specific advice yeah. and feedback with the coaches. Yeah, um, exactly. You mentioned study a lot, mm-hmm. so let's challenge it. What does your process for studying look like? And you know, be as specific as granular as possible. Um, well, recently my studying hasn't been quite as good. I've been more on the side of just like putting in hours and putting in volume. But while I was learning, it was it was essentially just like watching a lot of videos, taking notes. Like I would open a notepad on my computer, have that on one monitor, and then the other stuff, the material on on my other, and just kind of watch it. And if there was something that I think I was doing, I would kind of write it down and be like make notes about what I think I was doing wrong, and then try and implement that in my next session, kind of thing. And then if I was noticing, basically any time that I would notice I was uncomfortable. I would go back and I would try and review those spots at a later date. So like if there was a spot where I'm like, oh man, I don't know what to do in this, like be it a three bet pot or on the flop, then I would go back and I would kind of relook at the material in that specific section. So it kind of started out as like a broad study everything, get as much knowledge as possible. And then from there, when I noticed that I'm uncomfortable in a spot, making a mistake over and over, then I would kind of dive into that focused area and really put a lot of time into that. And these focused areas, you mentioned three bat pots and you mentioned flop play and also Uh, Mm pre-flop. I'm guessing that a lot of the the spots that you study are pretty early in the decision tree. Yeah. In PLO, I feel like there's a lot more decision-making that comes early. There's a lot more raising, three betting, getting it in on flops, like because equities run so close and you're going to just like be flopping there's a lot more check raising. There's a lot more um, stuff in Hold'em. Obviously there's some, but in PLO, when there's four cards, there's so many draws out there. You'll just see a lot more check raising, a lot more. So knowing how to deal with those basically and knowing 
how to play preflop to not get yourself into weird spots is where I focus most of the studying because it's rare that you're going to get into like a big river spot because usually by the turn stacks have gone in or essentially gone into the point where you're knowing what you're going to do on the river anyways. Gotcha. Gotcha. So study, study all the early and all you have to do the, the early spots in the decision tree and all you have to do is, you know, learn how to play like hundred thousand hands, <laughs> however many hands there are combos there are in PLO. I'm not even sure how many combos of <laughs> yeah. four cards. So how long have you been a professional poker player? Quite a while, um, right? Quite a while. Yeah. There were a few times while I was playing live that I would kind of work on the side or whatever and do it more part-time if I found I wasn't um, playing. But essentially since I was 21, 22, so for probably six or seven years now, I've done it as my source of income. So, And then the online grind I started uh, right about two years ago. I think I started at the end of December two years ago. So, Do you still play live? Very rarely. If uh, I'll play like the odd weekend if I'm just feeling like going and playing some PLO cash. I'll, I'll go play on like a Friday or Saturday if I'm not streaming. Or if there's a live poker series in the city, I'll go and I'll play maybe an event or two kind of thing but i just find it's hard now going back to live after playing so much online at the time i didn't mind it but now that i'm used to like playing so many tables and like having so much action i find it a lot harder to go back and like invest my whole day in that one tournament and then just like have to fully focus on it so i I just prefer the online grind now yeah there's a a lot more action a lot more uh stimulus online Mm -hmm. than live i do love live for the camaraderie i love live Mm -hmm. for the live interactions and like you said the friendships you can make you're obviously playing spending time playing live you're obviously going to be able to make more friendships than Mm -hmm. spending a lot of time playing online yeah Um, definitely it's hard to you know put in the chat somebody's username and be like hey want to hang out for a a little while let's uh (laughs) let's chill but yeah it's uh I, i do i do enjoy playing live I, I like like you i don't get a chance to do it uh very often i live in a place that doesn't really have much live poker um or casinos i would say there's probably live live home games going around all the time around me but not any casinos can you describe any any inner struggles that you've had in your poker career and how'd you deal with those struggles one inner like i know especially when i was younger i did kind of struggle with basically just forms of gambling coming up. Um, It was very easy when I was playing a lot of poker to like, if you were having a bad session or something to go out and play a few hands of blackjack or like do something along those lines. Um, So that was definitely one thing that I struggled with quite a bit where I just, I would get in the mindset of like, Oh, I've already lost like a few thousand dollars. Like what's another 500 bucks. I'm just going to go blow it essentially on table games So yeah, that was one issue I had, but basically just kind of took realizing losing a lot of money in it and then kind of stepping back and being like, okay, this is dumb. Like I'm just losing money for no reason. And uh, yeah, essentially just kind of realized it was time to stop playing that and fully quit gambling on tables. Did you track your your table game losses? Like you just had this thundercloud, thunderclap realization that, hey, this is silly. Stop doing this. Yeah, it basically took losing a very hefty chunk of my bankroll and being like, okay, that is like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm doing well in poker. I'm making a lot of money in poker. 
Like it doesn't, there's no, and there was never any gratification, hardly. Like the days where I would go back and I would win some of the money that I had lost back, like it was like, okay, cool. Like I, I didn't really get a good sense of a feeling, but then the days where you would go and you would lose another few hundred thousand, whatever it be, like those days just felt so much worse. So it was just a really bad cycle where I eventually I just kind of woke up, had lost a lot of money to it and was essentially like, all right, I need to stop doing this. So from there have essentially quit, like I'll go throw down a hundred dollars with friends every once in a while now, but I've definitely stopped any heavy gambling. Do you think that that has something to do with it? Like the friends that you have playing blackjack, um, jumping into the pit and you know, you're there may as well, may as well yeah. play a couple hands of blackjack. Right. It, it definitely contributed times where like you'd, you'd have some friends and they'd be like, Oh, let's go throw some money on blackjack or let's go play something. And you'd be like, Oh yeah, let's do it. And then you guys would go out, you'd go and lose however much money and then just like go back and keep grinding poker. But you don't really think of it at the time because when you're playing live poker, like there's so much money kind of coming in and out that, that you don't really think about your gambling losses that much. But then if you just like take a step back and look at it after an extended period of time, you're just kind of like, Holy shit. Like I lost so much money doing that. So yeah, these, especially if you're playing like every day, uh, you're giving yourself many opportunities to lose a couple hundred bucks. And obviously over a year, that equals a shit ton of your win rate and yeah, exactly. cuts into your poker iron rate. What's the most unexpected thing that's happened in your poker journey? Yeah, I, I guess maybe the transition to like online and stuff and like doing the Twitch thing. Um, I had kind of grown up, like I was new streamers. Like I was friends with Jamie and I was friends with uh, Kevin Martin. And so I kind Jamie of always staples, right? Yeah. Jamie staples. Uh, they lived in Calgary. So we were pretty close. And, uh, so I was kind of new about Twitch, but I was never really involved in it. I just kind of always had it in my mindset that live poker is what I want to do. And I don't really want to focus my attention anywhere else. And it actually took doing a little challenge with Kevin Martin, where we decided to fire up a stream and try and keep it going for 24 hours a day between the two of us for, uh, the initial goal was for 10 days, but we only ended up doing it for five and, that was kind of my first interaction with Twitch. I had never streamed before, essentially the first time. How long did you have to prepare for this challenge? Like no time at all. No time. We, Just yeah, like it, right into the fire. Yeah, right into it. At the time, Kevin was feeling a little demotivated. So he was kind of looking for some extra motivation to uh, like just some fun to do on the channel. And we were out at a bar one night and essentially the whole plan just kind of came in like uh, that we were going to start stream and just keep it going for 24 hours a day for uh for 10 days i still remember at the bar so then yeah essentially i i didn't know kevin started out in the morning and i came to do the night shift at his house so i just kind of showed up that evening that's very Uh, generous of him letting you play all night yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know it wasn't the most ideal schedule but i was kind of on that anyways from the the uh the live poker days because i used to grind overnight right um so I just kind of showed up and then he was already streaming. So I just got a crash course of like, Hey, hit these buttons to switch scenes. This is how you play it. Like have fun. And then, had you played uh, any online? I mean, I'm sure you played some online, but what was I, your experience level? I, it was very low. I played a little bit of online, but it was always like, I was a losing player online. It was just, I was kind of the person that I was doing okay in live, but I wasn't that good of a player at all. So I would just kind of go and play a big Sunday and I was playing all the like, the five thirties and one Ks and stuff that I was just completely outclassed in. So up until that point I was losing online. 
so yeah, it was, it was a different experience. And then it took a lot of getting used to just like a multi-tabling because I wasn't used to playing that many tables. And then also trying to interact with chat and stream the whole time. Uh, so it was a very different experience. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, from somebody that's, you know, played millions of hands online, streaming is a different beast altogether. The interaction and having your, your focus diffused uh, in multiple areas, it's tough. You, you mm-hmm. picked a very tough way to jump into the online streets. Yeah. Did you play a cash game at all or were you strictly tournaments? Uh, no, it was fully tournaments. Um so part of the thing was that we started with um, like $1,000 and we were going to kind of see who had the most at the end. So we just kind of started that and we were playing just whatever tournaments we wanted to within that. So we were mostly just playing small stakes because we were putting in 12-hour days and we were sleep deprived. And that's new. <laughs> yeah. it was, we, we weren't wanting to fire anything big. So it was just kind of like a, a small buy-in challenge where we were playing. But I, I didn't think that I would enjoy it as much as I did. Like I kind of always knew about streaming, but I was just like, oh, that's not really for me. I don't think I would enjoy that. But jumping in and basically just having all of Kevin's audience be there and interacting and having, being able to chat and that, I just, yeah, essentially fell in love with it. So as soon as that challenge was done, I, like within a week, I went out, bought a new computer, got all my own setup and yeah, fired up my own stream. So who won the stream? I think I did, but it, it was kind of at the point where we, by by day five, we were both a little bit tired and, <laughs> and miserable. And so, yeah. I believe you. Yeah. I, I, we were both losing. That was the thing. It was like, who is the less, <laughs> like we were both down from our one case. I was just, who was down less. And I think, uh, I think it was me, but. So the live player with no interest in playing online turns into an online streamer overnight. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the journey you get your new computer, you start streaming, what were your goals? And, you know, talk about the progression from there. I didn't really start out with any like super clear goals. I just kind of knew that I wanted to build this stream and I, I really didn't know if it would work. I kind of set aside like three months worth of, of money and expenses. And then I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to dedicate three months to this and see what happens. If it wasn't where I wanted it to be, I was kind of had the plan that I would go back to live poker and, just kind of forget about the streaming. And if it was headed in a direction that I liked, then obviously I would keep going. And within the first three months, I just had an insane amount of support. Like there was so many people hanging out, so many just amazing people helping me kind of along the journey. I wasn't doing amazing at poker because I was still kind of fresh in learning about tournaments because I had essentially never played tournaments before. So switching from that to having to learn how to play tournaments and just like learn how to beat online I wasn't doing super well at the online games. So a lot of the income and stuff that I was able to sustain past those three months uh, just came from the community being amazing and showing all kinds of support. So um, yeah, just kind of kept growing and kept really enjoying it. And then as I was getting better at the poker, then that kind of fueled me to also keep going. So how important is the process of learning? You know, you're learning a, a bunch of new things all at the same time. Like, did that give an extra sense of fulfillment, um, enjoyment in playing poker versus playing live, where maybe you're not learning or studying as regularly as you should be? It it was fulfilling, but I would also say that it was overwhelming too, especially for me who was trying to dive into mixed games, but then also playing Hold'em and all of the different games because my studying time was very, 
it was very spread out. Like I wasn't just studying like no limit hold'em tournaments. I wasn't just studying mixed games. Like I was trying to put a little bit of time into my PLO, a little bit of time into all the different mixed games, a little time into hold'em. So it was overwhelming. There was just so much knowledge too, and having all the training courses that each takes so long, it was uh it's fulfilling. It was nice to kind of learn and see improvements in my game and start patching leaks. But then it was also overwhelming where it's like, what am I going to study today? And there was just so much knowledge being thrown at it, that, at me that it was tough. So uh, I know this might be a little redundant. We've gone through the PLO learning. Let's, let's jump into the MTT learning. How did that start out? Well, you know, well, what did that process of, you know, figuring out how to beat online tournaments go? Well, I just started playing the smallest stakes. So basically I was playing like $22 and below when I first started up and I was doing okay in the, like the smallest buy-in tournaments, but wasn't really able to beat the higher ones. And then again, just invested in, uh, I got upswings course and kind of went through all of that material again, did a similar learning process where I kind of went through the entire course very broad. And then anytime there was a spot that I was confused, I would look it up and it's a little easier in Hold'em to kind of look up spots as well because it's more, there's more knowledge out there and it's more like you have these two cards and like, this is what you do. So it was a lot easier to kind of go and either run the the SIM on a program or like look at something on ICMizer or just like go and even look at the preflop charts. If it was a preflop spot where I wasn't sure. So yeah, I just kind of started doing that and seeing some slight improvements and stuff like that. So then I kind of got to the point where I was playing maybe like the one Oh nines and below. And, but then just probably a couple weeks ago or so kind of had the realization of, I was still playing a lot of Hold'em and wasn't really focused on the PLO side of things as much. And just kind of stepped back and had a look at my PLO results versus my Hold'em results. And it's like, I'm making way more money at PLO uh, than I am at Hold'em. I enjoy the game a lot more. And by playing multiple games in a session, it also takes away a little bit of mental, like a mental concentration, like having to switch between each game, like, oh, this is OH, this is PLO, this is Hold'em. I kind of took more of my mental concentration away. So I uh, recently just decided to essentially take Hold'em completely out of the schedule and focus fully on PLO and OH, which, yeah, kind of gave up on the MTT studying for... <laughs> no more MTTs. How's no. the stream? How's the stream audience after... Binks, you know, going to solely PLO. And I'm assuming cash games, or are there a fair amount of PLO tournaments? No, there's quite a few PLO tournaments, actually. I can, uh, yeah, I can sustain and maintain about six tables while I do it and get in decent enough volume just in the PLO streets. So, um, so yeah, it's just been fully PLO MTTs. And uh, the audience is good. I have like a very solid base group of people who kind of come from my mixed game background, like when I was playing a lot of mixed games. So they'd like seeing the non holdem stuff, basically. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of people that don't really play PLO. So they'll kind of come to the stream, see it, and they just won't really enjoy it. And they'll move on to the next one. But uh, my goal is to kind of build a unique brand on Twitch. Like if you go on Twitch right now, you can find like tons of really good no limit holdem players who are great streamers. And it's a very saturated market where there's someone out there if you want to find that. Uh, whereas if you go on and you want to find somebody who's playing PLO consistently and like specializing in PLO tournaments, that's a lot harder to find on Twitch. So, so yeah, my goal is to just kind of try and build PLO up more, show people like, oh, these are the kind of results you can have playing PLO instead of Hold'em, and then hopefully make some people 
make the transition over to build the PLO games online. For sure. And like you said, you know, it's uh, your, your, your listeners or your watchers, viewers are going to be much more loyal. You know, you're the only person playing PLO tournaments or one of few people, I would imagine. So mm-hmm. the people that do enjoy it are going to tune in all the time. They're going to, to chat. And I, I think that's very smart. Like it just makes all the sense in the world to transition mm-hmm. to PLO. You enjoy it more, you win more money and you know, your audience is going to be much more loyal and, um, interactive. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of had the, the realization of like, I was putting in a lot of time studying No Limit Hold'em and I just wasn't enjoying myself that much. And then I kind of stepped back and I thought about it, like, do I have the ambition and like the drive to want to be one of the elite, um, P- or No Limit Hold'em MTT players? Because if I do, then it's great. Like I could have put in a lot of time studying and kind of moved up the stakes and enjoyed that. But it just wasn't something that I saw myself doing when I took a look at it. So, and yeah, just kind of saw myself as wanting to play PLO. So just decided to scrap the hold them all together and focus fully on the PLO, which yeah, I'm excited for. How did that, like mentally, what does that process look like of stepping back? Like how did you cultivate that awareness to be able to say, okay, I'm not really enjoying this. Let's change gears. It was always kind of like, I always didn't really enjoy the Hold'em ones. When I used to play a lot of mixed games, like I would add in the odd Hold'em tournament, but that was more just like a filler if there wasn't enough on the schedule kind of thing. But anytime I would play it, like I just, I never really got the satisfaction and fulfillment out of playing a Hold'em tournament that I did of uh, any of the other games. So it was always kind of in there that I knew that I didn't like Hold'em. But I think I was just playing it as like kind of like, oh, this is what a lot of people on Twitch want to watch. This is what I should be playing kind of thing. So yeah, it just kind of took, it It obviously took a long time because I was playing the Hold'em tournaments for quite a long, like for the couple of years that I was streaming and only recently had the step back to be like, all right, I'm going to take Hold'em out, focus fully on PLO and uh, and do that. So Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's tough transitioning like that. Just in general, I, I think that, as somebody that's a no limit hold'em cash game player primarily the just justification is always that you're going to have to invest a lot of time and energy into raising your game up to the top 2 or 1% of PLO for instance how many hours is that going to take there's a tangible cost in opportunity by transitioning and so i think that that can lead to a lot of you know a feeling of paralysis where you get mm-hmm. stuck playing a game, even if it doesn't exactly give you fulfillment or happiness. So yeah, many kudos to, to making the the switch. And Team Party Poker, let's talk about that. How did that opportunity come around? Team Party Poker online, uh, of all things, from this live cash game player yeah. that uh, <laughs> didn't even know that he wanted to play online. Yeah, um, basically just came around. Uh, I've been with them almost a year now, just under a year. Basically, they were uh, going to release their team or whatever. And uh, I kind of like had an in, like I'd been on the Twitch streets for quite a while. I had um, taken part in some streaming contests and done well in them and like things like that. So I'd kind of like been in the eye a little bit. Um, So when Team Party was on, they were kind of looking for all kinds of different streamers. Like they didn't just want to pick like the top X amount of streamers or whatever to add to the team. They kind of wanted to build it where... They got some of the bigger guys, but they also wanted to pick up some people that they saw um, had potential. Um, so knowing a few of the people as well who were on the team definitely gave me 
an advantage on getting on. But uh, basically just like them seeing some potential. I'd been growing the stream pretty consistently, had a loyal base, and I was also kind of doing something new in the mixed games that kind of adds something different to the team. Like all pretty much all the rest of the team, they might play the odd um, PLO tournament or whatever, but um, I was kind of doing something different and brought something a little unique to the team. Pays to be different in the poker space. Yeah, exactly. What is up, my loyal Chasing Poker Greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question. How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand, and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, Head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. So in your opinion, what's the most high-impact action that our listeners can take to improve their game? Essentially, if you're out there listening and you want to get better, I would just say investing in your studying. Um, If you... Like if you're just playing recreationally and you don't care about the studying, that's one thing. But if you're wanting to take it seriously, if you're wanting to make money at poker long-term, I think the best thing that you can do is invest in some form of training, be it a training course. Um, if you find a good training book, something along those lines where it'll just help because every hour that you play, like once you learn a piece of knowledge, every hour that you play after that, you're consistently making more and more money. So it's just like the little, the amount of time that you put in studying has effects for every hand that you play from that time afterwards. So investing early in your game is one of the best things that you can do in my opinion, because it'll either it'll make you lose less in the beginning or it'll make you start winning slightly more. And then that just kind of compounds as you continue learning and you start winning more and more. So essentially just investing in your game. It's hard to go out and play hands and like naturally pick up what you're doing wrong without hearing like this is what you should be doing or seeing it firsthand so especially if you're playing like in the live streets where you know you're playing two five you're buying in for 500 to a thousand or 510 you're buying in for a few thousand dollars your sample size is going to be very low and also like how many leaks do you need to plug in order to pay for some sort of training or some sort of course, like regardless of cost, I, in my opinion, poker courses specifically, if you do the work and lots of my guests have, have, you know, spoken to this exact point, 
it's very hard to be a bad investment if you're willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, like, like I said, even a thousand dollars. Okay. You know, like you said, every hand that you play after that, you make less mistakes. Like it earns money right straight away, which, yeah, exactly. yeah it's hard to beat. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think doing it so early on is good too. Like a lot of people will play for so long and they'll be, they'll be break even or slight loser, slight, like very slight winner kind of thing for so long before they decide like, okay, it's time to invest in some training. Whereas if you just took the step, did that a year ago, you could have been making so much more for that entire year that it would have paid for itself 20 times over. Exactly. Like when I was starting out in my career in 2004, there wasn't a ton of information. There wasn't a ton of videos. So trial and error, um, having a friend to talk about hand histories and learn from was the most important thing that I could do. But with all this knowledge and all this information that's available to you for the most part freely. And in the cases, you know, even if it's a few thousand dollars, that's extremely beneficial. You just, mm-hmm. it's just a must to take advantage of the knowledge because yeah. why, why wouldn't you, right? Like if there's yeah. no knowledge, you know, if you're starting like PLO, Eight or uh, you know Omaha eight, um, these get the mixed games where there's not as much knowledge as Hold'em, then maybe maybe not right. But mm-hmm. the good news is there is like you get good information and you're already way ahead of the curve, right when you jump in. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many other things where like if you were gonna go out and wanted to make some side income doing something that you wouldn't think twice about dropping a little money on like an education or a course or something like that where you would need it in order to like do what you were wanting doing. So I always kind of relate that to poker as well. It's like, if you want to do it and you want to make some side income, like don't be afraid to invest a little money in a course to be able to start making that money. And as somebody that makes a lot of content, I can attest that, you know, all of my students that pay me for one-to-one coaching, anybody that buys any of my products, like as a coach and a creator, you're so invested in helping these people that like you just you want to deliver value so much value that they're just overwhelmed um, mm-hmm. because again it goes back to that feeling of fulfillment like helping people on Twitch um, mm-hmm. there's extreme gratification in helping people on their poker journey when you think about joy in your poker career what's the first memory that comes to mind first memory is basically when I first started out playing kind of how I got my start into poker. I didn't always know like, oh, I want to play poker professionally. Like that wasn't something I thought about even while I was growing up. Basically what happened is I was, I was a little bit interested in it. I grew up in a small town. So we used to have like poker nights with friends where you'd come over and just play with you know, a few close friends or whatever. But my first experience with poker was essentially going into the casino fresh at 18, uh, playing one, two, and then just instantly running so well and running up um, like $10,000 in the span of a month or two or something, just playing one, two. So as an 18 year old, fresh out of high school, making $10,000, it just felt like it was like the easiest money ever. And at the time I was like, Oh, this is so easy. This is going to last forever. Having no idea how good I was running and any aspect of variance at the time. So I remember that was kind of like my first moment of joy was just like winning so much at such an early age that it kind of, that's kind of what fueled my poker dream like had I went in and lost my $300 the first time I went in like I could be doing something completely different today but the fact that I ran good right away won a bunch of money uh, ended up losing it all like shortly after because variance kicked in but uh, just having 
had that experience kind of mo- is what motivated me to start studying and improving and getting better. Cause it, like I had seen how, how good the poker life can be and how, um, how awesome it was. So having seen that and then still like losing it kind of motivated me to want to improve and get better. What was young 18 year old Ryan doing living his poker life? Like what, what was a typical day in the life of that kid? Well, when I was first 18, I was still kind of working on the side. Um, I was initially going to university. Um, I went for about a year before just kind of deciding that I wanted to focus on poker and um, dropping out. So initially it was kind of like I was either going to school or working. And then in the evenings I would get off and essentially just like drive down to the casino, play for a few hours in the evening and then go back home. So that was kind of how it started. And then as I started getting better and transitioning into it full time. Basically, my schedule was um, the evenings and overnights mostly. So I would, it was a really terrible for like overall life where I would be going to bed at seven or 8am sleeping all day, waking up when it was getting dark out, essentially driving down to the casino so I could start an evening session. And then just playing all night because I kind of found that people were tired. That's when everyone was kind of getting off work and coming to the casino. So that was just always where the best games were. So that's kind of where I put my time in. Always finding that edge, battling yeah, against exactly. the guys, the guys that are tired and getting off work while yeah. you're, you know, 18 years old and sleeping till 6 p.m. because exactly. I guess you could do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the competition you're playing against probably can't get away with that. Yeah. But um, so when you think about pain in your poker career, What's the first memory that comes to mind? Well, the first one's probably losing that initial money. Like there was the joy of making it and then the joy of like losing it. They kind of, I don't know. When, when I was you mean the pain, the up, pain of losing the pain, it. Or yeah, sorry, the pain <laughs> of losing it. Uh, when you're first coming up and it feels like it's going to happen forever, like it, it just hurt. I don't know. Having no sense of essentially like bankroll management and stuff like that. It definitely hurts when, uh, when you blow through a bankroll and kind of have to start from scratch and go back, start working, kind of rebuild from nothing. So that, that was one of the more painful moments for sure. What was going on in your mind and how did you feel? Like after you've torched your bankroll, you've got to go back to work. Did you have thoughts of quitting poker? Definitely. Yeah. There were definitely times where it crossed my mind, but like kind of deep down, I always knew that I loved the game. And I, more so than the love the game, I love the lifestyle that it can provide, like being able to work your own hours, being able to kind of go when you want, uh, travel to different stops. Uh, I kind of always knew that was something that I wanted. Like I could never see myself as working in an office nine to five or like doing a regular kind of job. So, so yeah, poker just kind of, even though there were thoughts of wanting to quit during the painful moments, Deep down, I kind of always knew that it was something that I wanted to do, so kind of helped push through. Yeah, and I want to go back a little to the to your feeling of joy, right? Like you said, if you lose that three hundred, maybe you give up on poker. Instead, you know, you sun run, run spin it up to ten k. I also started out winning, and I, I do wonder. There were times where I had my whole bankroll uh, on the line playing five ten no limit, uh, and. I do wonder what hap- what would have happened had I just gotten completely smashed in those pivotal moments. And yeah. I don't know that I would have quit. I don't know that you would have quit either, mm-hmm. uh, especially once you get a taste of the strategy and you, you see the potential, right? As long as you're able to see the potential, I think that is the guide that says, okay, no matter what, 
even if I get my teeth kicked in or when I get my teeth kicked in, I'm going to persevere and just make this, make this work. Because like you said, the lifestyle, I love the lifestyle as well. I cannot imagine working a nine to five. It's just, uh, I don't think it's in my DNA. What's something you feel that folks who are chasing their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about? Like a lot of people who are kind of chasing poker dreams just have unrealistic expectations. Uh, There's been a lot of times where I'll have a friend or something just like in terms of what they can make or what they can realistically like profit for long-term they'll have a taste of like what it's like when they're running good, but they won't realize all the variance that's associated with it. And they'll kind of have goals of like, Oh, I want to make like $3,000 a month. And I'm like, okay, cool. How are you doing that? And they're like, Oh, I'm just going to be playing like $11 tournaments and below. And like, when you kind of break it down, like having the goal of like, Oh, I want to make $3,000 a month is great. But then when you break down what they're realistically able to make based on the volume that they want to play and stuff like that, I think a lot of people shoot too high but they don't take the time to actually look at the numbers and be like, all right, this is my hourly win rate, or this is my ROI in tournaments. This is how many I can play. And then this is what has to like the the number that comes out. So I think being realistic with yourself and not just setting these unrealistic goals based on essentially nothing, like based on like, Oh, I need 3000 to live. Like that's what I'm going to make a month playing poker and having no real game plan and how to do that. I think is one mistake. A lot of people make. How would you suggest folks go about setting better goals? Because I think a lot of times, especially in this example, it comes from a place of ignorance, right? They just don't know. They, they don't know the math. They've never looked at the math or never even thought about the math. Like, how would you, uh, if you knew nothing, go about learning how to set better, better goals as related to you know, your poker career? Yeah. Uh, basically, I would say that's like tracking your results is step one. So that you have, like, if you're not tracking results, you have no idea kind of what you're doing. So be it if you're a live player, um, I used to always track on like the poker income app where you sit down, you put in how much you buy in, you hit start. And then at the end, you hit cash out for how much and it breaks it down based on your hourly and everything like that. Um, And although in live, it can be a little deceiving because you just don't get many hands in and your numbers can be very skewed based on variance. Online, it's a little easier because you can look... um, if you get a HUD, you can look at your exact stats, or if you have shark scope and are a tournament player, you can look at your exact ROIs. Um, so basically to set goals, I would say start tracking your results so you have an idea of what they are. And then based on those results, you can kind of make your goals. Like if you want to make $3,000 and your ROI is 30%, then you essentially have to know like, oh, well, I need to play $10,000 in tournaments how am I going to play those $10,000 in tournaments? So then you go, you look at the schedule, you break it down to say, I need to play 500 a day by 20 days. And then you find your 500 in tournaments and kind of break it down that way. So I'd say start with your results, like have your goal and then look at your results to see if it's attainable. Like sometimes your if your results aren't good enough, it's just going to be, you'll have to play an unrealistic amount of days or hours. And then maybe that can kind of shift your goal or motivate you to study so that your win rate can improve. Yeah. It's the, uh, like circling back to buying a course, investing in learning, improving your ROI so that, you know, some of these goals can be attainable. What do you, what do you think people spend too much time thinking about? People spend like maybe 
in poker in general, I think people spend too much time just like playing poker rather than focusing on the things outside of poker, like circling back to the studying in that where I think people just kind of show up, they play and they assume like, Oh, I'm playing a lot of hours. I'm going to get better. And I think they kind of have that in their mindset, whereas they should be kind of spending a lot more time off the felt working on their game, plugging leaks, things like that. Yeah. It's easy. Playing is way more fun than studying. It's way sexier to play a lot than to study a lot. Mm -hmm. But especially, especially, especially when you're just starting out, studying is so critical learning foundations um, to being successful can, you know, make or break you because let's face it. Another thing that we haven't touched on is, you know, early on in your career, you're fairly mentally fragile. When things go bad, you don't handle it very well emotionally. And Mm -hmm. this has a negative impact on your play. It has a negative impact on your life, just all of these things. So, you know, by increasing your knowledge at, from the very beginning, you know, you, you, I'm not going to, you can't prevent obviously, but you can maybe minimize the amount of emotional turmoil that you put yourself through early on, Mm -hmm. because that can be, you know, that can be just, just a killer, uh, really early on in your poker career. Oh, hundred percent. What's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? I can't really think of much. I don't know. I don't, uh, no answer's fine. (laughs) It it might come to you later on. Yeah, Yeah. A lot of advice that I hear is basically good advice that I haven't really heard anything where I completely disagree. Like, Oh no, that's terrible advice, but no overhearing a two, two people talking at a live table. Well, I don't spend much time anymore. So a a lot of my advice is kind of, Coming from good sources time. now. Yeah, like I'm choosing where I get my advice from rather than just like going in and hearing a bunch of people talking and getting unsolicited advice as much. So a lot of the advice I get is like pretty good and and stuff like that. So can't really so think of anything. The takeaway is find good sources to get your advice from. Don't exactly. find the random human that you're battling against at three in the morning to get yeah. feedback on your hand history when they're incentivized to lie to you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely people that love to coach at the table and give little rundowns of your hands and stuff. Those are probably not the people to listen to. Yeah, I think that's fine because, like you said, <laughs> they're not. The feedback is not going to be super great from those guys. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's because if it like was, that. they would keep it to themselves. So, exactly. If they were um, that good that they knew, they would not be just giving out their advice for free to random people at the table. So exactly. it's usually not the best. Exactly. Um, you said you don't read very much, right? No. But if you could gift all poker players one book, I'm going to press anyway. What what would it be and why? Or maybe in, instead of a book, consume a piece of poker content or a piece of content in general. It doesn't even have to be poker related. I remember, uh, well, for, in terms of content, I was trying to think of a book, but it's so hard. Like I, I can... I feel like I've read maybe one, I can think of one book that I've read only in completion. It was, uh, I think it was Gus Hansen, Every Hand Revealed or something, where he just like went through and talked about every single hand that he played in a tournament and and kind of broke down why. Um, so that would be the only book that I have, would be able to <laughs> give any knowledge on. But um, Any and, non-poker related books? Do you read anything... This um, a little bit. I, I really like, uh, I, I like Tim Ferriss. So I listen to a lot of his uh, podcasts and kind of read a lot of his books and really like them. He uh, essentially interviews like people 
at the top 1% of their field and basically just asks them what they attribute their success to. Uh, so I think that like a lot of his Tim Ferriss's stuff is uh, really good for kind of, it works in the poker world too, like in terms of what these people do and like a lot of it has really helped me as well because a lot of them talk about their entrepreneurial and kind of like setting routines and doing stuff like that, which um, I kind of started to implement and noticed a lot of immediate effects in my poker game because it's very easy to wake up and just feel demotivated when you don't have to play poker every day. Whereas setting a schedule and like having a morning routine of like, all right, I'm going to wake up, do this, this, and this, it kind of gets your day started and gives you that energy and it gives you just like a better mental mindset for when you do start your session and stuff like that. So I, I really like reading a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Tim Ferriss is the man. I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss and the autonomy of poker being your career is a double-edged sword where the lifestyle can be very great. Uh, you also have the responsibility to, like you said, win the morning, take care of yourself, stay physically fit, uh, just and then I can't tell you how many times, and it's the funniest question that people ask me is, are you addicted to gambling? <laughs> um, and it's like, look, if, you know, if I could make any excuse not to put my poker session in, like I would have made it at, at, you know, various times in my career, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I'm about to sit down and my wife's like, Hey, we're out of milk. I'm like, I'm going to go get milk. Like it's not, uh, yeah, it's something that you have to force yourself to do, um, to force yourself to learn, force yourself to put in volume when there's a million other things that you could do. So, exactly. yeah, yes. I think setting routines is just such a big deal of the professional poker player's life. Mm-hmm. And it just helps mentally a lot, too, because I, I notice like when I don't have a normal routine, it's easy to like kind of sleep in and then. First thing in the morning, you're just a little bit lazy. You might lay and like watch some TV or do something. And then you, and then finally you decide to get out of bed and like head on over to the computer and fire up a session. Like you're just not mentally like primed and ready to be in a mindset to play good poker a lot of days. Whereas when you wake up and you have a good breakfast, you go to the gym, you like do meditation, like whatever your routine is. And then after you're done all that, you're feeling great, you're awake, you're more mentally focused so that when you sit down and you're ready to go at your computer, you're actually engaged in the session. And that just helps so much with, uh, with win rate. And, and I've, I've learned too, through personal experience that we talked about the goal setting of like $3,000 a month and then breaking down how much, how much money in tournaments you need to play a day to reach that. I found that when I set these kind of expectations for myself, I struggle. I tend to struggle more when I start setting like monetary expectations on like a monthly basis because mm-hmm. I, I know the mindset. The mindset is I'm going to show up and make X amount of money at the end of the month. And that's just not fucking good enough. It doesn't mm-hmm. cut it. You've got to take care of yourself. You need to be in shape. You need to, to approach every session with energy and the thought that you're, go- you're going to do your best regardless of how it goes. When you start feeling like you're just going to show up and win, that, that is always the point to where everything starts crumbling um, as far as in my poker journey. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, lifestyle is huge. The times where you're not taking care of yourself, you're not working out, you're not eating healthy, 
it because poker is such a mental game it's not like you just show up and you win like a normal job like you have to be fully there mentally so uh, the time that you spend off the table in proper diet working out like whatever you need has so much impact on your daily profits that it's kind of a two-way street that you need to do both and and for sure and I look at it this way, and this is you know what I tell my students. These are things you can do that are completely unrelated to poker that improve your poker game. Like yeah. you, you're not studying, you're going to the gym, you're lifting weights. Like yeah, maybe it's not ultra fun, but these are the things that the other people aren't doing regularly, and in that you get an edge. So it's fi- finding edges that aren't specifically poker strategy driven. It's just lifestyle driven edges. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's only so much time you can invest into poker before you become burnt out. Oh, so for sure. Having, yeah. having lifestyle things you can do helps with the like it helps with your profit, but it doesn't burn you out. Like putting in an extra two hours of grinding is probably going to do more harm if you're already putting in a full session versus putting two hours and like going to the gym, and getting a good meal, and then playing for two hours less, but being more in the zone that whole time will have a better impact on your profits yeah and i've talked you know i've talked about this with my guests as well that not everybody is nenonoku right like Mm -hmm. not everybody can put in that kind of volume poker as a mental game you expend tons of energy while you're playing and when you feel wiped after you know i think typically for me it's around three hours of four to six tables, I just feel like my brain is mush, right? My thoughts mm-hmm. are not really, they're, they're not clear. My, I get diminishing returns the more that I play beyond that point. Now live, I can put in, <laughs> put in way more hours live because it's less yeah. mentally taxing as yeah, online. You're, you're playing one hand and most of the time it's folding. So you're, there's not really a lot of mental decisions happening live. But. Exactly. So like, don't get too down on yourself if you can't put in, like massive amounts of volume. You find yourself struggling. You find yourself losing clarity. Like this is just part of the process. This is part of poker. So instead of pushing through, you know, like Ryan said, go to the gym, take care of yourself, improve your lifestyle, get stronger because you're going to see diminishing returns. Like it's just, it's not going to go well when you try to push yourself through the the point to where your mind is just fatigued and your decision-making is, you know, going way down. Yeah, exactly. All right, we got a lightning round here, and then we'll end the show. So right. uh, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? More people playing in different games than the limit hold'em. Just like increased field sizes and player base for the non-hold'em games and less focus on those. Because then there would be more big tournaments, prestigious tournaments, revolving around the mixed games and stuff. Like There's a few, obviously, but having them more widespread would be one of the goals do you have any idea on how to make this happen i know you're doing you're you're pulling your weight for sure with your stream but mm-hmm. just from like a, a macro perspective do you feel like online companies should make it a priority to grow the mixed games it's hard for them because there's so many people that aren't interested in them and are just interested in the hold'em um so it's kind of hard i think the first step is trying to market these games show people how good these games can be and get them to move over would be the first step like sites just offering different stuff like yeah i'll attract the player base that already plays it but it's not really going to get new people into it um so i think trying to essentially market the games 
and show the people who are playing Hold'em how good they can be will have more of an impact in trying to get people moving over. And then the more people that move over, the more demand there becomes for those games and then kind of starts building them that way. But Yeah, it's really hard. Again, we can circle back to all the knowledge and information that's available on Hold'em. I think that makes gives makes people feel comfortable in their ability and maybe a little afraid to venture to the mixed game streets. Mm-hmm. And as you're saying, like so many people have invested so much time now into No Limit Hold'em that if you're going to go and tell those people, like, hey, you should switch over to PLO, a lot of them are just like, well, like I've invested so much time in Hold'em and there's still so much I want to learn about it. Like I, I just... I want to focus my attention on hold them and not move over, even though with a short amount of time, they could be crushing the PLO as well. They just are kind of set in their ways and don't really want to venture out because they're doing something it's working. And in their mind, like, why would you want to switch over if you're doing well at hold them and it's working for you? Yeah. The lack of information can be an opportunity. Like if you look at it from the perspective that it's an opportunity to, get ahead of the curve very quickly, then I think, you know, that, that can maybe help people dip their toe into the water and just experience some of the different games because a a lot of the games are fun. Like they're very enjoyable and fun to play PLO specifically. Mm -hmm. So it's just getting people to try it out um, in the first place. Yeah, exactly. But it's so people are so much worse at PLO in general because there's not as much material and it's kind of a new game where people haven't put as much time in that what a lot of the Hold'em guys don't realize is they would have to invest such a small amount of time to be winning at these games because the majority of the field has invested zero time. So essentially them just having a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of investment, they would already be crushing the games. And then as they improve and get better, like they could very easily and very quickly see better returns and what they're getting from Hold'em. It's just, hard to get them to make that change and plo specifically again like it's a lot easier to tilt and make really bad decisions than in hold'em right like it's hard Mm -hmm. to look at it justify like a jack deuce off under the gun in a Mm hold'em tournament but you can look at some really bad hands in plo and start justify justifying their playability you can like look at king eight five deuce double suited and be like oh it's double suited and i'm in early position like how bad could it be and yeah you can definitely have those moments where you're playing way too wide and tilting on hands and pillow. For sure. Let's, I have a Tim Ferriss question. So if, if you could erect a billboard that every poker player has got to drive past on their way to playing cards, what would it say? It would probably just stress the importance of routine. And yeah, from Tim Ferriss's stuff, like he is kind of who, he has like a really good morning routine and a very good night routine for sleep as well. Um, and I think those, like implementing those two things are super important for anybody who uh, wants to do well at poker. I agree, especially sleep. You know, sleep mm-hmm. is rejuvenating. That's the time where, you know, your brain goes from mush, from putting in the volume to getting prepared and ready for the next day. So it's vitally important that you practice good sleep habits. Mm-hmm. Like if I have a day where I don't sleep well or something, I wake up. I, you can always feel when you're playing poker that you're not as mentally there and clear. Oh, uh, for so, sure. So setting yourself up at night to have good sleep and to be able to get, like fully be fully rested when you wake up is just such a huge advantage when you're at the tables. Yeah, it's uh, it, and again, it's another thing you can do that other people are probably not doing. That's mm-hmm. just very low hanging fruit to gain an edge over the field. 
Yeah, exactly. Let's see. What's something people would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? I'm horrible at a lot of things, but I don't know what would uh, what would be surprising to people. <laughs> um, maybe like time management. Like I, I kind of work. Obviously, I do a lot of stuff that uh, is very on my own time and stuff like that. But I'm a huge procrastinator where I'm very bad to like put things off and stuff like that. So I guess like time management and and being on top of things that I have to do, which uh, is bad. And I always try and work on it, but uh, something that I'm quite bad at. <laughs> something that it's a tough thing to shake. Yeah, and um, with with the poker and content creation and stuff like that, like it's something I should be a lot more on top of because there's a lot of stuff that I kind of have to do, and it's all on my own time. So that's one skill that I wish I was a lot better at. Well, there are books, sir. There are there, books you can there read. Are. There are. <laughs> I've went through a lot of them. It's reading and implementing seem to be two very different things. I think let's go back to to your challenge with Kevin, right? you know, he wanted to do it for accountability purposes. And I think creating that social accountability as far as time management and goals, these sort of things, uh, telling a friend, setting goals with a friend and then holding each other accountable is just, it's a massive first step in the right direction because you want to show up for your friends. You don't want to let them down. You want to follow through and be a person of your word and and, uh, follow through on your self image. Mm -hmm. What's your current big goal? as related to poker? Um, big goal is essentially just to build the PLO streets and that for and like build my stream and then also get better at PLO and just build the PLO streets in general. Um, I want to get more people right now. There's not a ton of PLO tournaments on the schedule. Like there's enough that I can get by, but I would like to have a lot more. And in doing that, I need more people to be playing PLO essentially. Uh, so my main goal is just, to improve myself at PLO and then also to help other people improve and show them how fun the game can be and how profitable the game can be so that uh, more people start making the transition over and the, uh, yeah, the PLO volume increases on all the sites and stuff like that. Do you have a graph, a graph I can, I can plaster for the audience to see? For uh, PLO results? Yeah. Um, I do. I unblocked my um, shark scope results since starting the PLO grind. Yeah, but I'll, I'll put that up on the on the show page whenever this okay. one whenever this one goes live, so that people can see. Hey, yeah, this is this is a fun game. This is yeah. a profitable game. Yeah, I played two or three hundred tournaments. Have like a hundred percent average ROI, and total is maybe forty ish or so. Because it's I, pretty good. A hundred percent ROI. Yeah, I've only Jesus. played a couple Sundays and bricked like the five thirties and stuff like that. So it's taken a hit on the total, but uh, the average is yeah very high. So much higher than what and a lot of the elite like hold'em players can get. And I still have a lot of learning to do in my PLO. Like I don't think I'm one of the most elite. So what do you think is possible as far as ROI goes? Um, I think like a, a good number would be somewhere in the fifty to a hundred range. Just from looking people up and kind of seeing their results, I think 50 to 100 for a lot of the good players is pretty attainable. Yeah, And, a, and that's within all of them. So that includes all your turbos and a lot of the hypers that people play and stuff like that. So um, if you're just playing slow structure, like maybe even a little bit more than that. What's typical hold'em ROI? Because I'm not in the MTT scene, so I don't know, you know what's like an elite level uh, MTT hold on players ROI. 
in similar stakes. So like I'm at about maybe like a 40, 45 ABS. So around that, it would be probably around 30% would be really good. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sure there's some that are better, but yeah, like somewhere in the 10 to 50 for Hold'em, it's like pretty good, obviously, depending on what you're buying is. If you're playing the highest stakes, 10 is very good. And then if you're playing the smaller stakes, like getting up to around 50, stuff like that. Yeah, so 50 in PLO seems pretty damn good. Yeah. 100% you said over three or 400 tournaments in PLO? Uh, yeah, I think close to 300 now. So not the biggest sample, but even before I did the PLO only, I looked at my results and I was about, I think it was like 48% over um, a few thousand. And a lot of that was being slightly losing at the start of my career because I wasn't very good at it. So I was losing for a lot of it, so... That sounds very intriguing. It makes me, well, I can't play um, on party poker because I'm in the USA. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if I could, to jump in there and play some PLO tournaments, is if you're a multi table tournament grinder and that's your gig, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? My main focus is basically just the stream and that and building a lot of stuff towards it. I, a lot of my time goes into that for right now. I don't really have too many other side projects. So yeah, I, I just want to build the stream a lot over the next year. I was just kind of playing for the first two years. I was more focusing on the poker aspect of things. And I was trying to get to a point where I was making good money so that I could sustain myself and the stream. I like to work on it, but it was kind of secondary to me being able to win and live off of my poker income first. Um, but now that I'm kind of at that point where the poker income is good, I want to start focusing more on the stream side of things and building a bigger community and getting more people involved in the PLO and stuff like that. What are you going to do to make that happen? A lot of, well, I want to start working a lot more on social media. I want to launch, um, a website soon. There's things like that. And then essentially just putting in a lot of consistency, a lot of building a stream comes with consistently streaming. So there's little things that I want to do on the side as well to kind of help that process and speed it along. Um, but a lot of what I want to do is just be there, like show up, stream five days a week consistently, um, more if I have a weekend off, whatever, and just show up and yeah, always kind of be there is the main goal. Put in the volume and mm-hmm. spend time with people in close proximity. Yeah. Um, let's fast forward 15 years into the future. What are your accomplishments in poker going to look like? As I said, I don't really have the motivation to like be the best in the world. Like I'm not really driven to want to be competing at the highest level necessarily. A lot of what I want to do in poker is... Why not, make, by the way? I don't really know. It's just... I, don't, I, I think a lot of people are driven by like seeing people on a big final table and they're just like, oh my God, I want that to be me. Which... I don't know. I'm just not as driven by that. I'm I'm more driven by just like, if I'm making comfortable living playing like online tournaments, I don't really need the, like the fame of it and to be on like the biggest feature tables and stuff like that. More of what I get out of poker is from helping others and stuff like that. So in my, I want to get really good at PLO to the point where I can start offering um, coaching and kind of get people like help people on their journey as well, kind of a thing. So more of my poker goals are just to be a very solid player, like be one of the good ones, but 
to then help other people kind of along their journey as well to get that sense of fulfillment and stuff like that. It's very commendable, sir, being in service of other people. And uh, final question, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the interwebs? Uh, they can find me on Twitch. So my Twitch stream is twitch.tv slash rscoombart. Spell that for our uh, audio listeners. It is R-S-C-H-O-O-N-B-A-E-R-T. Yeah, a little bit of a mouthful, but uh, yeah, I have that. I use that on all social medias as well. And uh, that is my Twitch username. So I generally stream there about five days a week, give or take. And that'll be in the show notes or on the show page as well. So you can just click through, check out Ryan's stream, watch some PLO tournaments. My man, it's been great having you this morning. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm very grateful for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Over Greatness.